Welcome to the second week of our practice period. And our theme for tonight is the first noble truth, the truth of suffering. And uh, I thought it was a great night to talk about our suffering. Because as as we all came in from the rainy, windy, cold night, almost the universal uh, comments were, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Maybe it's not the wind and the rain that's our suffering. Maybe it's our reaction to them. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Ryokan was a, uh, a Japanese monk that lived at the end of the 1700s and the beginning of the 1800s. And he uh, was a very simple person, didn't have any students, didn't live in a temple. He just wandered around and played with children, wrote poems not for anybody to see, just that's the way he expressed himself. So he wrote this. I watch people in the world throw away their lives, lusting after things, never able to satisfy their desires, falling into deep despair and torturing themselves. Even if they get what they want, how long will they be able to enjoy it? For one heavenly pleasure, they suffer 10 torments of hell binding themselves more firmly to the grindstone. Such people are like monkeys, frantically grasping for the moon and the water, and then falling into a whirlpool. How endlessly those caught up in the floating world suffer. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the first noble truth, this truth of suffering, and what it is and why it's important to us. And if you recall last week, I talked a little bit about the method that we are going to use to look at these. So the method is the first step, to think about it with our minds. That's kind of the part that I can do here, is to put words to these things so we can look at the concepts and say, that makes sense or no, that doesn't make sense. And if it does make sense and you decide you want to go deeper with that, then the second step is to take that those concepts and ideas into your actual life, into your body itself. Not in your head, but into your body itself. And understand them with your body. Literally standing under your suffering, allowing it to weigh on you, to know what it feels like. And in doing that, bit by bit, by making the commitment to simply look, we have the possibility that we can know for ourselves the truth of this first noble truth. And if we know for ourselves the truth of it, then we can integrate this into our life, into the way we live, and we can notice our suffering and how we contribute to that, and we can can make the the, um, commitment not to dwell that way again. So it's thinking about it, living with it, knowing that we know it. Those are the three steps. So the path to happiness does not lie in avoiding suffering. It lies in using that suffering in a conscious, embodied way to liberate ourselves. So we might think that we want nothing bad to happen to us, but that's not the truth. We can't make that come about. That is part of being a human being, part of being alive, is that unsatisfactory things are going to happen to us. 
So what do we do as a result of that? Well, we take that into our conscious awareness and we use that suffering as the tool of our liberation. So the Four Noble Truths, uh, the first one is that suffering exists. Your life contains moments of dukkha, as is the Pali word, that unsatisfactoriness. You're, there's no way to escape it. You're a human being, you're alive, you will find unsatisfactoriness in the world. There's just no way to get around it. And if we don't know this truth, we have the fantasy that that's not going to happen to us, and every time suffering finds us, we think something's gone wrong. But this first truth is important because we really have to see that it exists in my particular life. In this moment right now, there's something unsatisfactory that I'm mulling over, that I'm living with. So that's the first truth. The second truth is that that suffering has causes. And that cause of our dukkha is our clinging and our aversion. Our hope that it's not true. The first truth is not true. That's what causes the first truth. <laughs> so the, the third truth is that there is liberation. It is possible to be liberating, liberated. And that liberation comes when we find the way to let go of the clinging and the aversion related to that base level of dukkha that we have in our lives. And then the, the last path is that there, there is, excuse me, the last truth is that there is a path to doing that. And we'll get to that later. But I just wanted to go over those again because this really is the foundation of our practice. It's the foundation of the wisdom that the Buddha taught. And it's worth our time to really look carefully at this and take these Four Noble Truths into our lives. And, and even this eight-week period is just not enough. It's just not enough. We're, this will give us an introduction, but there's, um, there's so much reality here, not to hear about, but to live with and practice with. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk tonight about the kinds of suffering that we might encounter. It seems to me that unless we know what it is we're looking for, we can't see it. We have to, we have to be able to look more deeply at the kinds of suffering that actually exist in our lives so that we can begin to notice them instead of just turning away from them reflexively. So we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to look at six levels of suffering that are in Buddhist mythology. And they range from the coarsest suffering, the kind of suffering we usually think of as suffering. And every level that we're going to look at gets more and more subtle and a little bit hidden. So I'll, I'll tell you what these, what these are called. Um, they are the realms of hell, the animal realm, the hungry ghost realm, the human realm, the realm of the Asuras, which we'll define that's a sort of a nonsense word until we know what it means, and finally, the heavenly realm of suffering. So tonight we're going to start, we're going to dive right into the hell realm. <clears throat> I've been kind of looking forward to this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
So um, the way Buddhists look at suffering is different than in, in religions uh, of the world. There's no, in Buddhism, there's no judge. There's nobody keeping score. There's nobody that's saying you've done bad and you will be punished for your doing bad. What the Buddha taught was that uh, our actions themselves are what lead to our suffering. That there's, there is no one else necessary to be watching us and judging us. Our actions will do it. Uh, they'll punish us, surely. <laughs> we, may not, we may not see it right away, but every action, we plant a seed of, of our suffering. There's a story from uh, one of our other favorite uh, Japanese monks, Hakuen, who lived in the 1600s. And uh, it's a story of his encounter with a samurai. Now, the samurai were used to getting their way, right? <laughs> they were the elite of society. They were backed by this sword that they had uh, the right to use with impunity. So if someone displeased them, stepped out of their rank, they could cut them down. No consequences. So this samurai comes up to Hakuin, and he wants Hakuin to teach him what the difference is between heaven and hell. So Hakuin looks at him and he says, what's the matter? You afraid of hell? Why should I even bother to teach a sniveling coward like you? So the samurai, never being talked to like this before, just has a flash of anger, and he pulls out his sword and comes at Hakuin, and Hakuin steps to the side, and he says, this is hell. <laughs> and the samurai has this moment of, of understanding. And he sheathes his sword, and Hakuin says, and this is heaven. So let's talk about what he was pointing at when he said, this is hell. The hell realm is one of the mythological realms that have been used throughout uh, Buddhist history to teach people the reality in their own life. So one level to take this on, uh, these, these realms we're going to talk about, is on the level of untrue fantasy. And you know you can you can make that argument that it's untrue fantasy. But I think myths are a really good way to get us to point to things that are actually true about us, that are true in ways that our rational mind might not want to assent to right away. But the story of a myth can really help us because we can see in the story ourselves. So the story of the hell realms in Buddhism is not unlike hell in other religions. So it's a place of fiery suffering, physical pain. And we all know something of physical pain. All of us have had pain at, at some level. You know, whether it's we throw our back out and we can't move, it hurts to move. We can't not move. It hurts to not move. There's no escape from it. Uh, a toothache, you know, the, 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 the thing just hurts like mad. We know that. 
So in the hell realm, it's hot. It's burning. And I think one of the ways we know that hot burning is in anger. When we have anger, we've entered the hell realm. We're, we're, we're burning. So that story with Hakuin, you know, it's, it's showing the hell realm because that samurai was, was in the, the hot flash of anger. That he, he knows it. So there's a, a sort of a truism that, um, that lashing out in anger like that samurai was doing is like picking up a hot coal out of a fire to throw at another person. Mm-hmm. You know that you may well hit them with the hot coal and hurt them, but you will certainly hurt yourself in the process. We want to think that when we are suffering in the fires of hell and anger, that we will somehow lessen that by striking out at other people. But it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, back in the 60s and the 70s, the, uh, there was a, some schools of psychology that taught that if you were really angry, you should pound on pillows and you should express it, you should get it out, and that that would somehow purge you of the, of the anger. But what they found after really looking at it was that what it was doing was creating stronger patterns of anger and then lashing out and retribution. You were, you were rehearsing this, this <laughs> and making mental formations of, okay, when I feel angry, this is what I do. <clears throat> so it just doesn't work. The, the studies have, have debunked that. So part of the hell realm is that, that fire of anger. But there's another, there's another aspect to the hell realm, which is the freezing cold. And the freezing cold is, is about uh, pulling inward, you know, to protect yourself. You know how when you're cold, everything, everything draws in. You're just, you, you pull into your core and, and you, can't, you can't get small enough to try and keep yourself warm. So that the cold of this kind of hell realm is, is the cold shoulder that we give to others, the shunning, the passive aggressiveness, even, even numbing ourselves and, and depression is a kind of cold hell, uh, a withdrawal. So when we think about the, these these fires and colds of this hell realm, we can think that it's all out, out there and that there's, a, there's a, a place we just have to avoid this place. But I think it's more helpful to think not of this kind of a hell realm as something that exists, uh, that we interact with, but it's something that we create with our actions. And there's a, there's a whole uh, literature in, in uh, Mahayana Buddhism where, where the writers talk about all the hells that we create with our actions, and they name them. They, they give them all a name. So they have some fun names like um, flying knives, <laughs> squeezing mountains, <laughs> head-chopping hell, <laughs> quarreling hell. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the of the 
uh, quantum uh, physicists that are talking about uh, creating uh, um, dimension after dimension after dimension, that there, there could be thousands of dimensions that we see only three and that every action it c could go both ways. So now there's another dimension and it could be infinite numbers of dimensions. Well, it's kind of like this for the hells that we create. We, all our actions could be creating all these hells all, all the way along. And one particular one of those named hells that I, that I um, sort of got intrigued by is called embracing pillar hell. So this hell, uh, it, Im imagine a, a large hollow brass pillar and inside this hollow brass pillar is burning a fire. Mm -hmm. So this is a hell for people who are guilty of sexual misconduct to enter. So when they come into this hell and they see this brass pillar, what they actually see is the object of their lust. Mm -hmm. And they rush to it and they embrace it. But it's so hot that it sears their flesh to, to it. They can't let go until they're just cooked. Mm -hmm. And then they fall away. And then this wind called the creative breeze comes through. The clever breeze, excuse me, the clever breeze comes through and revives them and wipes out all memory of the searing and just leaves the memory of their longing. Mm -hmm. And so they do it again. Oh. And they do it again. And they do it again. So this might seem you know, fanciful and something like you might see in a Hieronymus Bosch painting or, or something <laughs> like that. But I invite you to actually think about in your own life, you know, where are these repeated cycles of rushing towards what you think will satisfy you? And it turns out it burns you and you forget about it, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, over and over and over. You know, how many, how many times do we repeat a similar unhealthy relationship? Or succumb to our addictions? Or follow the the angry habitual response that we have in the world, even though we know that it's the burning pillar, we still do it again and again. Most of our hells aren't one-off events. Most of our hells we repeat again and again. They're patterns. I've noticed for myself, uh, when I suffer, it's not, it's not the only chance I get to look at that suffering. If I don't look at it, it comes back. It gives me more chances. And if I still don't look at it, it comes back again. And oftentimes it comes back even stronger uh, than it did before. Not one-off. So some of the hells that we exist in aren't just created by ourselves alone. In fact, I don't know that it's really helpful to think about ourselves as a separate self that creates these things because we are interconnected. We inter-are with all things. But some of, the, some of the hells that we are in are created by our society. 
It's hard to trace them back to our individual actions. You see um, abused children, for instance. They're in a hell realm, but it's hard to say that they created it. You look at you look at war crimes. How did the people who endure war crimes how how are they to blame in some way? People in poverty, people who've been abandoned. We see it in a lot of our collective actions, our racism, our oppression of each other, our exploitation of each other. These are these are collective hell realms that we create. And we think that we're going to get something out of doing it. Mm. Somehow we believe that, but we just don't see, we just don't remember that all the suffering involved. So then we do it again and again. So the Buddha said that hell is extreme physical suffering and emotional pain without hope of relief. So that's what's happening in the hell realm. It's this extreme suffering, this extreme pain, and there's no hope of relief. And there are people who are stuck in that kind of a place, that live most of their life stuck in that kind of a place. And we sometimes have that same feeling. But we are very, very fortunate, very fortunate, because we have the support We've been given something that allows us to see that there's a possibility of not just dwelling in a hell realm like this. We come here. You know, to come just the fact that we walk in the door here means that we have we're not without hope. We're not just stuck there. And when we study the Four Noble Truths, we are looking at that path that helps us to liberate. We, we have been some of the few fortunate people that have bumped into this. What a gift. What a gift. So the reason that we're doing this first noble truth, and the reason the Buddha taught this first, is that until we really see this suffering, we can't get out of it. We have to look at it closely. We have to really examine it. We have to let it be real. We can't do that spiritual bypassing that we do so often, which is as soon as something comes up, we, we say, oh, I, can, I, I just have to be calm and it'll go away. No, we have to take the opposite tack. We have to really turn towards it and look at it closely. We have to see that this is it, right? This is it. This is our back pain. This is what judgment feels like. This is what my cold feels like. This is what it feels like to get out of the car and walk in the pouring rain and the wind in here and and have the water cover my glasses and all that stuff that I don't want. This is what it is. This is my life. What does that feel like? What does that feel like? Okay, so that's the hell realm, characterized by... Anger, the heat of anger, the cold of shunning, the inability to break away from it, 
stuck in a cycle again and again. That's, that's the hell realm. So the next realm is the animal realm. And the animal realm is different. It's characterized by habitual response. Now, I'm going to make statements about what animals do and animals don't do. And I think that the animal realm was named at a period of time when we didn't quite understand as much about the similarities between animals and humans. So please take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because I, um, I'm saying this, uh, but I'm not sure it's really a good label anymore to call it the animal realm. But it is what it is. So animals are typically thought of as driven by instinct uh, for food, for shelter, to flee danger, to reproduce. And they don't have the ability to step back and understand their actions. They just react given their um, genetics or given their um, uh, climate, whatever is around them, they just react. And they often repeat things that don't help them. So, for instance, you know, if, if, if you find a, a dog that's suffering and you want to try and go help the dog, um, the dog may bite you. They can't understand that you're there to help. Uh, maybe after some time they can, but, but immediately they don't. They don't have the wisdom to see cause and effect. So we get trapped in the animal realm um, by our ignorance and our confusion and our unexamined assumptions. When we, when we, don't, when we fail to see causes and conditions of our actions, we are caught in those habitual responses like an animal. We are suffering in the animal realm. Um, you know, you can, you can hear it on a, on a playground. You know, the, the two kids go to the principal's office. Well, he hit me first. Well, he, he, he said something to me. You know, so it's, no, no one can see that they they're have their own cause in that. Uh, yeah. So a lot of us remain trapped in the animal realm. We just do the same habitual reactive behaviors over and over and over and over again. It's real easy for some people to get caught in that because of how they're brought up, particularly children who, who are um, abused or are raised in a household with parents who don't show any sort of logic or, or predictability to their behavior can get caught in an animal realm because they, they don't trust that there's cause and effect in the world. It just sort of seems like randomly um, um, all hell falls on them for, for they don't know why. And they can't develop any insight about their own behavior. Yeah, it's, it's tragic. You can see you can see people sometimes that are that are raised in that um, repeat the same patterns generation after generation after generation. The same kind of abuse, um, same kind of addictions, and sometimes cultures can can also fall into the animal realms. You know, you think about, um, for instance, Germany in the 1930s. 
where there was so much suffering after World War One that people were, were barely able to uh, provide food for themselves. They couldn't trust that money had any value. Inflation was so high that what you earned yesterday couldn't buy you enough bread tomorrow. So it's a cycle of they were you know, having this poverty and then, then they needed somebody to blame. And so it led to this kind of populism and then Hitler showed up and pretty soon they're exterminating all the Jews, right? And, and it's that kind of a cycle of not being able to see cause and effect that characterizes the animal realm. You know, that the world couldn't see that putting Germany in that position would lead to these kind of horrible outcomes. And the people in the middle of it had a hard time seeing that as well. Um, I've, I've been watching with particular interest, I don't know if you've seen this story this last week, you probably can't avoid it. Uh, there was a story about um, some Catholic schoolboys from Kentucky that were in Washington, D.C., and there was a Native American elder <clears throat> who was drumming, and there was a confrontation, and there was some videos that went around, and what I, what, what I found very interesting in this was to watch how we as a culture weren't looking deeply at the question. We were just simply reacting. You know, some people found these, uh, these uh, boys at fault for what they, what they were seeing on the, the videos on Facebook or whatever. We're seeing them at fault for harassing the Native American man. Um, other people saw the liberal establishment as at fault for picking on these boys. You know, and, and as more information came out, it turns out that the situation was very different from what it seemed at first, but almost every, every group found a, someone to hate in there in another group. And we, we were all stuck in an animal realm where we could not see cause and effect. We couldn't see more deeply than just our own habitual reactions. Our reactions to say, I'm part of this clan and this clan sees those people at fault. I'm part of this clan and this clan sees those people at fault. And we weren't willing to really look at the facts of what was happening. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, should I go to the, should I do one more Hell Realm or should we uh, have some discussion about these? What do you think? You feel like, you feel like getting more Hell? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do one more. <clears throat> So the animal realm was characterized by habitual response. You just can't get out of it. No thought involved, just boom. Something happens, you just react. So the next realm, the hungry ghost realm, this is the, this is the realm that's characterized by grasping, by wanting. <clears throat> so the hungry ghosts are these creatures that you see in uh, Buddhist art sometimes. They have great big bellies and they have little skinny, skinny necks. And on the top of their skinny neck is a head with a mouth that's about as big as the eye of a needle. <laughs> so they are constantly hungry. They want, 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 want. Gimme, 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 gimme. And they can't 
they're surrounded by everything they want. It's all around them. They can see it and smell it and feel it. But they, their mouths are so tiny that they can hardly get any of it in their mouth. And if they do manage to get it in their mouth, it turns to a red-hot iron ball and sears their throats as they're trying to swallow it down. <laughs> Sounds pretty grody, huh? <clears throat> yeah. So this desire that the hungry ghosts have has, has from three different characteristics. One is desire from greed. They want something. The other is hatred. They, they want to, they desire the absence of something. And then the third one is ignorance. So they desire things to be other than they are. So you might recognize yourself um, as a hungry ghost sometimes. Um, this is about our unwise consumption. This is the hell of our unwise consumption. So we just had the holidays, right? <laughs> and there's all this food, all this sweets. Um, my dear friend Michael every year sends, sends us a basket with fruitcake and candy and all this great stuff in it. And it sits there on the counter and it calls out to me. <laughs> and I justify it because I say, oh, Michael sent it. You know, it's so great. I want this. I want this. And so I, bit, bit by bit, day after day, I start eating this stuff. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realize that um, not so good for me. I got that, I got I got those beautiful treats in past my little tiny mouth, but then it's been searing me on the way down my throat as, as my belly expands. I pay the price. It is, it's not free. Just getting it in my mouth isn't, isn't the solution to this, because even if I get it in my mouth, I still suffer. I'm haunted by what I consume. But I thought that was what I wanted. Right? Every time I reached for one of those treats, I thought that's what I desired, and that after I had that, my desire would be satisfied. But no, there, there was, almost as soon as I put one in my mouth, I don't know it's there. Almost as soon. It turns out it's not satisfying the desire itself that, that uh, I was after. It was an endless succession of grabbing at this, and then when that's filled, grab at that, and when that's filled, then grab at that. So addiction is really a, a plight of the hungry ghosts. Mm, so we can think of it um, in terms of, of, of substance abuses, you know, whether that's food or, or alcohol, But, you know, every time we do that, every time we, we consume something we think we want, it turns to a hot iron ball. The problem is we don't look deeply enough to see that it's turned to the hot iron ball. We just think that once we've ingested that food or whatever it is, taken that drink, um, that, that we're, we're satisfied. But if we look closely at it, if we really watch the process, we'll see there's a hot iron ball stuck in our throat, one way or the other. 
Um, but you know, these kind of addictions can can be um, can be not about what we consume necessarily, like food or, or drugs or alcohol, but even things like acquiring stuff. I was fascinated to to learn that there's a whole genre of YouTube videos of people unboxing new things. Mm-hmm. So so apparently people get a whatever, a new iPhone, say, and then they film the process of actually opening the, the box and taking it out and, and taking each piece out and describing you know, each piece and showing each thing that came out of the box. And I thought, wow, that is really um, probably what we're really desiring here. Mm-hmm. If people are, are fascinated to go and watch these videos, and I, you know, it must be about a lot of different things, you know, things you can't imagine that people really want. It's not actually the thing itself that they want. It's the experience of acquiring it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, I don't know if you know who Marie Kondo is. Mm-hmm. She wrote that book about um, tidying up and she kind of brought uh, ja- some of Japanese culture to the U.S. and um, <clears throat> um, what was I going to say about I forgot what I was going to say about her already. So she she brings families in and they have all these clothes, for instance, and she has them stack all the clothes in one place so they can see how many clothes they have because it's scattered all around the house. And what was kind of shocking to me when I saw an instance of this show was that many of the clothes that the people brought in still had the price tags on them. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't the clothing them, the, itself that the person wanted it was the process of going shopping mm-hmm. and acquiring it. And then actually, the clothes weren't important enough to, to take the tag off and, and wear, but there's this mountain of clothing with tags on. Yeah, okay, hungry ghost. <laughs> hungry ghost. So another way we might be addicted is to, to ideas. And we might be hungry ghosts related to um, novelty, for instance rather than being able to come back to our cushion day after day and watch our breath, (laughs) we need to have a new idea to play with. We need to go to hear a different teacher talk or have a new teaching of some sort. And look at the way we use our phones, you know, in terms of addictions to ideas. You know, it's, it's not the content on the phone we really want. It's, an, it's a habitual reaction we use to pick it up and look, look and just, oh, this is what I do. This is, uh, oh, I've got my phone in my hand. Uh, I guess I'll look at that app. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then we get to the end of that and we realize that didn't do it for us. Well, how about that app? Uh, <clears throat> where you can be addicted to ideas. So how do we find our way out of this? So the freedom from the hungry ghost realm is, uh, is practice, is watching this process very, very closely, of seeing when we've become hungry ghosts and not judging ourselves at all for that, just noticing and to notice when we've, when we've swallowed what we desire and then 
being willing to see how it burns. The Four Noble Truths again. If we see our greed, hatred, and ignorance, we know they're there. We see the path that it took to acquire that suffering. We see when we become free, and we see that there's a path to that freedom that's worthwhile, that's worth our time. So that's the hell realm, the realm of physical anger, pain, of the cold of shunning. That's the animal realm, the realm of our habitual responses, the locked-in nature of the way we go through our lives. Stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response. No possibility of seeing cause and effect in the middle. And then the hungry ghost realm, the realm of grasping, wanting, trying to satisfy our desires through consuming, even when the consuming itself brings more suffering. So those are the first three of the hell realms. Um, Next week we'll take up the human realm and the Asura realm and the heavenly realm. So these are realms, uh, the first three realms are realms of, of lack when we don't think we have enough. The next three realms are the suffering we have when we do have enough. It's a little more subtle, but nonetheless uh, very much part of our existence. So why don't we have a bell, and then I'd like to invite some uh, topics for discussion.